welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're back for another express post from the Women's World Cup. Oh boy, we've had the round of 16. We're into the quarterfinals and everything is happening. Everything is very exciting. Everything is very overwhelming. It's all gravy, basically. So obviously, we need to talk about some stuff, namely the two quarterfinals from yesterday, which was Friday. Um very exciting. We also have to have a little chat because it is Saturday the 12th of August, so we've got to have a little bit of a vibe check before the Matildas take on France, but we can't wait to talk to you all about everything. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're on today, the Yagara people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. You've got a full house for today's episode, so that's me, Marissa Lodanik, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Anna Harrington, and Sam Lewis. So, friends, let's start Quick Tilly's update. Is there any news that we need to know about Harrow? Yeah, basically, uh, Tony Gustafson didn't beat around the bush with this. If Sam Kerr is fit to play 90 minutes, she will start. That's what he said. Uh, I quite like someone asked about whether if she came and if it would disrupt the team, and he said no chance of that. And when he was asked about it, he goes, it's Sam Kerr. <laughs> like, I, I think that's pretty straight to the point. The Obvious question is, is she fit to play 90 minutes? I mean, she had a 10, 15, really 15 minutes if you include stoppage time. Cameo off the bench um, against Denmark not that long ago. For me, it, it seems unlikely that she'll start um, just because that would be a big change in loads very quickly. I still feel like she's more likely to come off the bench. I think we're more likely to see that same front four. Um, yeah, pre-vibe check. I think the main vibe that has come out of the French camp is they've really tried to project pressure onto this Australian team. Talk about, you know, four years ago, we crumbled under pressure at a home World Cup. It can happen to you too. Um, everyone I've started that sort of war of words very early in the week and their players have pretty consistently towed that line too. The other comment they've had is friendly match, um, that one new win Australia had doesn't matter. So they're the two lines that I feel like France have really been going down quite strongly this week. Um, Australia for their part, Claire Hunt in particular, and Ellie Carpenter actually was very good in the pre-match presser yesterday, which was Friday for those playing along, um, also batted it away. They, they said that they don't look at it as a negative thing. They love the pressure. They love the expectation. They love the support that's coming in. And it's just going next level. Um, obviously, we know there's so many live sites. Rod Laver Arena has just been opened up. It's getting played at the SCG, at Optus Stadium. At the MCG, there's obviously been some toing and froing between the AFL and FIFA there, but it looks like that's going to happen. What happens if that game goes to extra time slash penalties? Not sure. But anyway, regardless, everyone is all aboard the Tilly's train. Everyone's watching it everywhere. And uh, the vibes are at an all-time high um, coming into this match. But, yeah, the only real news is that Sam Kerr, if fit too, will start, whether she will yet to be seen. Kaya Simon, if we see her, it seems likely it's a pen at best. But all 23 players hit the track on Friday. So that's the first time that's happened all tournament. Exciting position to be in. As I said, the vibes are good. Everyone seems excited. Everyone seems relaxed. Um, and that's where you want to be heading into such a crunch game. Sam? It's interesting, isn't it, coming into this? Like how I've been thinking about how much we should be reading into the games that we've already seen. Like that friendly you mentioned, Harrow. It seems like neither camp are, are reading too much into that result or, or into the performances. But 
you know, I kind of think that we should at the same time because the 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 ultimate winning winning goal that Mary Fowler scored it came after two of Australia's best players, Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford, were off the field. You know, that was a real um, uh, sort of a proof of concept game almost of the whole sort of Gustafson project of trying to bring through these young young kids and having them step into the shoes of these more experienced players. But at the same time, how much should we read into um, the games that have already been played in the tournament. Because I think about France and I'm like, has, outside of the Brazil game in the group, have they really been challenged? Have they really sort of come up against a serious team that's asked some serious questions of them? And I don't really think that they have. Meanwhile, Australia absolutely has. Arguably in every single game that they've played up until this point, everyone had its own very particular challenge and the Matildas had to find ways to adapt and adjust and answer those questions for themselves. So the two trajectories that both of these teams have been on over the past month, they're really, really interesting. And I do think, like listening to uh, Eugenie Le Sommel yesterday, like there are some very experienced French players who are looking back at that quarterfinal loss to the USA in 2019 and knowing that they've got this monkey on their back. And I think that's a real motivator for them. But at the very same time, the Matildas have never qualified for a semi-final before in their history. So in that sense as well, like it's not just the stuff that's happened on the field recently, but it's also the stuff that's happened to them over the course of their entire existences, really, that are kind of motivating both of these teams in different ways. So it's going to be a really interesting collision of both those stories, I reckon. I think the other thing is the big narrative I should have mentioned was everyone was talking about um, substitutions and use of players and France have used 21 players. So everyone bar the, the two reserve goalkeepers and I think everyone bar two players in that 21 has played at least 30 minutes. Only Grace Garo and Diani have played um, 300 plus minutes. Whereas Australia have eight players who have reached that marker. So Australia have rotated their squad less than anyone. They've given less substitute minutes to anyone. Um, which obviously you can interpret that, whether that's a lack of faith in the bench, whether that's needing to go all the way. I think Ove Renard put it quite well where he said France really did have the luxury of being able to rotate their squad more after they beat Brazil and they'd have effectively qualified. They got to rotate against Panama. And he said for once you'd reached that point, for sort of squad morale reasons, you need to rotate your squad because you're already through and you need to get some minutes into those players to keep everyone sort of happy. Whereas Australia, and as you've just said, Sam, a very testing position where it was like as soon as... You know, they strong squad in your first game, obviously strong squad in your second, hoping to qualify straight away. But as soon as they lost to Nigeria, it was backs to the wall and they had to just go strongest squad. And then every game, obviously, since has been a knockout. So whether that comes into it late in the game or if it goes to extra time is yet to be seen. Um, we heard Tony was so strong on this team is fit, this team is fast. They go and they go and their repeat um, sprints and their, um, their sprint metres just go up when they're backing up in games. We know how fit players like Ellie Carpenter and Caitlin Ford and uh, Cooney Cross and Gorey are. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, if it does have a bearing on the game at all. Angela, what's your vibe? I just think that's unnecessary. Just because you flopped doesn't mean we're going to flop. Like, mind your business. (laughs) That really annoyed me. (laughs) Like, get it together. Anyway. I will be farting in their general direction, hopefully, after this game. I'm not. <laughs> anyway. But my general vibe, like, I don't know. I feel like um, this tournament, it's been very, like, you know, that Lady Gaga bit where she's like, 
club, club, bus. No, the club. And so it's, <laughs> it's sometimes like it takes a little while for the, the gravity of game day to sink in. So I'm starting to feel nervous now we're doing this pod, but I think it's like the way that the country has gotten around the Tillies is just so surreal. It mm. like still does, it feels almost absurd, but I just, I think that that will be a massive, I know that's super important and that's going to be a big boost. And I, that quarterfinal, the USA, the one where France got knocked out in France, the vibes of that game were incredible, but I feel like the kind of surge of support behind the team was not, it didn't feel as visible, the country getting around the French mm. team. So it was very kind of pressurised. It was very like, oh, our team are bottlers. Let's not bottle it again. You better not bottle it again. Oh, you better not fuck up yeah. on home soil. Like from remembering, yeah. we were talking about this yesterday, Sam, from being there. Mm -hmm. It was intense pressure around that French team and expectation. And they're almost unlucky that they met a US team that were on a mission as well. But it's, it feels like a very different set of circumstances, whereas the Tillies are taking it all in. I've loved that every presser uh, player has revved up the crowd that they're about to have ever since the pre-Canada game, right, where you had Sam Kerr say anything bar booing the national anthem, go for your life, Melbourne. And we saw Caitlin Ford rev up the Sydney crowd and Ellie Carpenter's not a Queenslander, but she revved up the Brisbane crowd again yesterday, said get loud. So I love that they're taking it on and that they seem so comfortable in it. They seem to love it and I think that's really exciting. Me. me personally, I've got the same feeling of like going between excitement and confident and nausea that I've had <laughs> Since before the Canada game, so it's all us. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned that, Harry, because I there's I don't remember who I was speaking to, but I someone mentioned to me that there has actually been a study done which shows that a football crowd that is like uh like seriously behind you um can it's basically the equivalent of 0.5 of a goal like it across all of these like amazing huge like um sort of uh groups of of like games and things that they analyze they actually found that if there is a really rabid crowd that's at your back it can it can equate to 0.5 of a goal so i wonder if that's sort of been translated in terms of um the messaging that the matilda's camp has been trying to put out every single time that they have press opportunities like this because you're right like every single game has been like crowds we need you we need the noise we need the passion we need all this stuff because it's actually true like qualitatively quantitatively there is research that shows that it actually works did any, I, I feel like this is the best time to mention did anyone see that bit I can't remember which newspaper it was in but the fact that like people are not pissing during Tilly's games <laughs> or getting up to put yes, the Yes, in the paper, yeah. It was like Mel and the Melbourne Water or something found that the water usage went up uh, at half time of the games. And yeah. it's easier for them to tell because normally like they try and do these things during the footy and they're with quarters, so it's not so clear. But this has been really clear. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, yeah, that's a testament to <laughs> everyone getting behind this, this Tilly side. I feel like there's a joke there about torts and tillies but my brain isn't quite there I'm yet i'm gonna stop you right there That's <laughs> i think it is for the best that we do know do not go down that path but um 
yeah, obviously we will talk about the Tillies game tomorrow. We'll talk about England-Columbia as well. That's the other game that's being played on Saturday. But we're going to switch our focus to the games from Friday. So the first two quarterfinals where we had Spain defeat the Netherlands 2-1 and Sweden (laughs) defeat Japan 2-1, which I don't think a lot of people saw coming. So shall we talk about Spain-Netherlands first? I literally tipped over on ESPN a Spain 2-1 win after extra time. So I'm feeling really good about my I was right uh, vibes. Um, it was also like the, the most depressing I was right because no one wants old mate Jorge Vilder to yeah. be happy. Sad for all of us. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That in depth. Oh no, this was a um a prediction piece that you can oh. read on ESPN.com.au. Okay, <laughs> I was like, have I you went for ESPN Marissa? It doesn't come up. <laughs> love, I love Mickey Mouse. Um, and that's all I'm gonna say on that. Anyway, yeah, so obviously, like we've said, Spain are through to a semi-final, the Netherlands crash out at the quarterfinal stage. What does this actually mean for both teams? What do we now know about both of these teams? My my initial summary of this game is Van der Graaf, what was that? And then yeah. Van der Graaf, what was that? And then <laughs> um, old mate Lena Berenstain um, learned the really, really hard way, as Sydney Larry put it, you should not talk until you are on the podium. Um, mm-hmm. She said, I think it was friend of the pod, Ben uh, from AFA New Zealand, asked her about her reaction to the US going out, obviously beat them in um, the final in 2019. And she was basically like, bye. They were talking like they'd already won it. Um, and, yeah, this didn't end well for her because she missed some crucial chances, including one in extra time, what puts it over the bar, and then Spain go down the other end and score the winner. All the very best. See ya. Um, yeah, it was entertaining. Spain should have put this away earlier, to be honest. I thought they outplayed the Netherlands yeah. for a fair chunk of this game. Um, that said, Netherlands desperately unlucky to have that penalty overturned by VAR. Like, um, yep. she, I mean, she's... She's not used her hands, but she shoved her in the back. Like, it's pretty blatant. Um, You you go with the classic rule of would it be a foul anywhere else on the pitch? And obviously, yes. Like, she's bearing down on goal. Like, I don't don't see how it couldn't be anyway. I don't don't think it was shoulder to shoulder. I thought it was, like, sort of, you know, forearm. It was arm to back. Shoulder to the back, right? Like, it wasn't hands, but it was still, like, bang, in the back. It's not a football challenge. Um, Anyway. So they were desperately unlucky there, but that was about it. I think um, their coach actually said as much like it was a penalty, but that doesn't mean that Spain didn't deserve to win, which I think is a pretty fair way of putting it. Though they nearly stuffed it up when old May Jorge in a moment of brilliance thought, let's take off Bon Matia 1-0 one, one um, with not long to go. And uh, the Netherlands obviously equalised. Um, but, yeah, they, I thought it was, yeah, it was entertaining. It went to... 120, which if you're Sweden, you'd be absolutely wrapped about. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Van der Graaf has the – goes zero to hero very quickly and then, um, yeah, fantastic goal to finish it off by Spain. Um, I think they were, as I just said, they were the better team on the day and it sort of reflected that. Yeah, they were. They should, have, they should have put it away in 90 minutes, I reckon, especially in the first probably 25, 30 minutes. Like the Netherlands just did not look like they had any kind of chance. And obviously they were trying to play the sort of counter-attacking football. That's why you had Berenstein and Lika Martins up there. But even then Spain, every time like the Netherlands midfielders got anywhere within the vicinity of a ball, 
it was just red shirts everywhere, just absolutely swarming them. So uh, yeah, like Spain, like they're a great team. This is the other thing. Like it's they are actually a really good team, even though they are missing some of the world's best players. They're still a great team. Um, and yeah, I mean, hats off to to uh, Paoluelo, the the yeah, the teenager who came off the bench and scored the winner. That was just absolutely rapid, and she was one of the stars of the under twenty women's World Cup as well. I remember um, speaking about her on the panel on SBS. Um, yeah, and look, um, I it's hard to sort of it's hard to know how to feel about the Spain team because like, are the players succeeding despite old mate George, or are they are they succeeding because of him? And you know, I I don't know the the reaction I think of um, of some of the players after well, most of the players actually after the game uh, sort of said a lot. Uh, there was a video going around on Twitter of uh, Jorge walking out onto the pitch after the full time whistle, and all of his players were just swerving him. They just avoided him. They just walked around, hugged each other, and he was just sort of like walking around vaguely towards them in a really awkward way, trying to be part of the celebrations, but none of them wanted a bar of it. So, yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see how far they can go. This is their first ever semi-final at a, a Women's World Cup. Um, obviously, they've got some of the world's best players. I think Bon Mati is is really putting her hand up in terms of Ballon d'Or conversations, which is presumably the reason why she chose to represent Spain and not um, sort of continue the boycott with some of uh, some of her teammates. Uh, yeah, as for the Netherlands, to be honest, I haven't really been that impressed with them this tournament. I didn't think they would get much further than the quarterfinal, and they proved me right. And they missed Van der Donk. Oh, she yeah. She was so influential early, and we know she was in tears after missing out. And let's be honest, it was her own fault. She didn't need to make that challenge last game. She said as much. I think she called herself stupid maybe even. Um, but, yeah, they, they missed her presence in midfield. Uh, Berenstein's not really stepped up as striker like the goal she scored in the previous match was a keeper error she needed to nail one yesterday like especially as I mentioned that chance next time she had her chances no one expects her to be Viviana Miedema right but you've got to be taking those chances um so it's rough she's not the only one obviously um but yeah it, I agree Sam Spain probably should have got it done earlier and yeah ultimately the team that probably better got through yeah, I don't know. When I was watching the game with a friend of the pod, Tom, I was like, I can't tell if Berenstein is having, like, a good game or a shocking game. And he was just like, she's having a game. <laughs> but it's like she was, like, able to create chances as well. But, yeah, just burying them. I would I imagine she's feeling pretty sombre today. Um, yeah, I don't know. My feelings about this being like Spanish side are complicated because if the context was different, I'd be like having such a good time watching them, but I'm not because, you know, for all the obvious reasons, but it is interesting. Yeah. How their success in this tournament will be interpreted, um, especially like, you know, moving forward because how, yeah, how much of it can be credited to Jorge Vilda, especially I guess, yeah, people who, who know more about the Spanish national side can probably do the deep dive into the, the tactical decisions that he's made. But, yeah, I don't – they're just, like, class players who seem to get around each other and they have that chemistry already. I don't know. I'm just trying to be, like, undermine him as much as possible because I don't like him. But, um, anyway, yeah, and Netherlands, to, it it's a – yeah, like the – it coming down to, like, a penalty – Again, that that saw them knocked out of the Euros last year. Um, I don't know if anyone's watched the video I did with my friend Bruce 
I've got a part two coming out with like how to say Dutch football things, but now it's just like depressing because they're knocked out. But um, in that video, there's her in the background going like fucking penalty. Like it was a penalty then. It's a penalty now. But to their credit, I think for Yonkers, like they have their comeback has been pretty good in terms of how bad they were at the Euros last year and and how they've been able to rebuild. Um, so I suppose, but yeah, they haven't. You, you would think the kind of football that they were playing this tournament, yeah, that they'd be able to kind of expose Spain a bit more um, on the counter, but oh, I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty – it's the result you would expect from the game that we saw. Yeah, I agree. The other quarterfinal we had, so Spain's opponents in this semifinal, I had to do the math in my own well, brain. Well, you had a point about Van der Gart. And how, what, you know, Tony. Oh, it's just that the Netherlands decided that putting their centre back up top was a move. And like she did score, but that doesn't mean you should put your centre back up top. Tony Christensen, <laughs> you should not put your centre back up top. I know you're listening on your little walk today. Do not put Alana Kennedy up top. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was it. That was my point. Um, <laughs> Not important. Anyway, we move on to not very. Um, Sweden defeating Japan 2-1 in the other quarterfinals. So obviously that means Sweden will take on Spain in the semifinal, which is very fun, very spicy. But um, I need to kick off the chat about this game with an apology um, to Japan, um, to every Japanese person, to anyone who was a fan of Japan. I tweeted after the Sweden defeated the Sweden, after Sweden defeated the US, that Japan were going to wipe the floor with Sweden. And uh, I think I put the mockers on them. So I'm genuinely <laughs> sorry to the entirety of Japan, every Japanese fan. Um, I will never tweet again. I'm really sorry about this one. But um, No yeah. apologies for Sweden, says Marissa. <laughs> I'm not going to apologise for saying you were going to wipe with the floor. I'll apologise for the team that I thought was going to wipe the floor with you. Before we do serious I said what analysis. I said. Stand by. Before we, before we do serious analysis, can we take on the most serious piece of analysis from Coach Peter Gerhardson when he got asked about how they did? We know we'll go into it just a sec, but obviously, too long didn't read version is Sweden went. We're going to press the life out of you, Japan. We are going to have a high press, and you're going to hate it, and you're going to turn the ball over. You're going to have a bad time. You're going to forget how to play and start going for high balls to your tiny forwards, and it's not going to work. Things aren't going to get any better. We're going to score. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. But as I said, they came into the game deciding that they wanted to play like bumblebees. And then in the presser, he does like a little imitation, like this. <laughs> I understood what he meant. Exactly. Like, I was like, yeah. actually, this, this appeals right. to me, a person who would like a simple description of this. No, no, no tactics talk, only bumblebees. Um, and they did. They just buzzed around. They didn't stop. That press was relentless. Um, yeah. They basically looked at it. It's, it's so funny because there's such a stark contrast, stark contrast Sorry to the USA game where Sweden were like, let's throw everything we're good at out the window and just hoof it long for 120 minutes. Um, they just pressed, pressed and pressed and pressed and pressed. It's, it was the sort of thing that gave me hope that if had we played Japan, we could have done something similar because we do love a high press. But the way they did it was just relentless. They were so disciplined. Um, and Japan, to be honest, would be so disappointed with the way they conceded that first goal. Like, it was mm. scrappy. Sweden, it was just like, 
Second ball, Magda Eriksson gets a couple of digs. There would have been a handball in there anyway had um, Ilstead not gotten there to, to bundle at home anyway. But, yeah, just failing to clear the lines. And they, they didn't play like themselves for the first half. They didn't play with Junendo. They went for a more conservative left-back option, mm. which I think sometimes you can get in your own heads too much and forget that she's been one of the players of the tournament. Um, anyway... Sam, you clearly have some thoughts on this. I just thought Japan sort of out – they got outplayed by Sweden, but they also conceded a bit of ground too early that I think you've got to go out and attack and use your strengths as well. Yeah, Sorry, I Harry, think the way that we were – Harry, you said bundle at home. I think you meant bumble at home. Sorry. Hey, there we go. There it is. I was just like, oh, waited. Anyway, sorry, Sam. <laughs> It helped that they were all wearing yellow as well. Um, The way that we were explaining it, I think, to each other, Harry, during the first half in particular, was that Japan were playing like they were afraid of Sweden. And, like, they weren't playing to their strengths. They they, they were sort of... um, they, yeah, they kind of like retreated into themselves a little bit. And Sweden's press obviously forced that to some extent. But Japan technically, I think, had the ability to be able to break out of those pressure situations quite easily, but they just didn't. And it was it was strange to see that happen. I think perhaps that's a that's an experience thing. This Japan side is one of the youngest on average of the entire tournament. Like the core of the team has come through the under 17s and the under 20s. It's the first time that many of them have played in this kind of moment before. So perhaps they just, yeah, just weren't able to handle the moment, whereas Sweden are a much more experienced team. They're a tournament-hardened team. They know how to do this kind of thing. Um, and the goals that they scored, yeah, they weren't they were, they were the kind of goals that, like, they were opportunistic goals. They didn't really feel like choreographed goals. They didn't seem like goals that were planned on the training ground. They were just like, let's just, like, plan A is to press relentlessly and to suffocate Japan. Plan B is to just try and score off whatever happens next, um, which, you know, I like can work in some circumstances, but I don't think that kind of game plan is going to do Sweden any favours going forward, particularly perhaps not against Spain. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like it was, it was, it was disappointing, I think, that, that Japan only kind of realised that they were behind like 70 minutes into the game and then started to play. Um, and and the final 25, 30 minutes were were pretty extraordinary. And i got to say, like, so I, I interviewed Jill Ellis recently, and one of the things that Jill Ellis said in terms of how do you actually win a World Cup, like you can control all these different factors, you can prepare as much as you can, but every winner in every tournament always has an element of luck to them. And it feels like Sweden are the lucky team in this tournament, right? Like you think about their winning penalty against the USA, the millimetre of the ball over the line, you think about the free kick that Japan had against Sweden last night, which could have tied the game, which came off the crossbar, hit the goalkeeper in the back, bounced off the post and went across the goal line, but not over it. Like it just, it feels like there is some sort of like, I don't know, strange universe vibe that's looking out for Sweden. Maybe it's because they haven't won a major tournament before at this kind of, on this kind of stage. They've got these kinds of players who've been working so hard for it. I don't know, but Maybe the luck's going to run out for them soon. Um, maybe it's going to see them all the way to the final. Um, I don't know, but it was it was a very strange game. I'm, I'm just like coming out of it. I'm, I'm I'm disappointed for Japan, but I'm also really excited for Japan because the the football that they've been playing over the course of this World Cup has been arguably the best of any team that has been out there. Um, and the fact that it's been played by such a young group with such a, a young coach as well. Um, 
it bodes really well for their future. So I'm really, really excited to see what they're going to look like come Olympics, come Asian Cup, and then come the next World Cup in 2027. Because I think that's be, that'll be the moment for them to be the ones to beat. Great. Uh, can we just talk about the post and the bar and Sweden's weird protection zone around the area? There was like at least twice where it looked like Japan scored. One was the penalty. Um, yeah. Missed. And the other one, I can't remember who the shot just before... Like, where it looked like it had gone in, it like bounced off the post and off Musovic's back and then into the, sorry, off the bar into Musovic and then into the post, I think. It was something ridiculous like that. I don't know how it didn't go in. Um, <laughs> like a force field screening it. Um, but yeah, Japan just uh, sort of get into the game too late and it ended up being really too little too late. Sweden did look very shaky at the end. Um, but yeah, they, they held on and I'm, I'm pretty excited for how that semifinal is going to look now. It's going to be really fascinating, um, especially seeing what Gehausen just did to a team that really likes to play in in Japan. If they can apply something similar to to Spain, it could be very, very chaotic. And will Alexia Puteas play a bit more? Who knows? Jorge Vilda's got one of the best players in the world on the bench, just vibing. So anyway, play on. Bumblebee to Electric Boogaloo. That's <laughs> what I'm hearing. <laughs> Do you have any takes? Uh, I just, I I don't know. I was very sad about this game because, okay, first of all, me and Peter Gerhardsen's expressions were the same after Sweden scored their first goal. He was, for different reasons, I think, my, I look like a stunned mullet because I was sad, but he looks just like stony face. Like we're, we're not done here yet. Anyway, um, and yeah, it really felt like, Japan, like up until the last minute, Japan were in a chance, in with a chance to equalize. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was just I don't know. I I feel sad because we don't get the opportunity to see them play more in this tournament. But like you said, Sam, I think they've captured the attention and hearts of many um, outside of their own nation this tournament. So it is it is going to be really exciting to see how they progress. And I think. Yeah, this is the start of like a very, I think, hopefully a very exciting kind of, you know, generation of the Japanese national team. So there's much to look forward to. But yeah, like so annoying that Sweden were like, yeah, okay, we're going to connect passes this game. Like it's so random. And <laughs> like, I'm terrified of tall blonde women as well. So I get it. But like it was just, it took them so, yeah, so long to kind of switch on and be like, oh, yeah let's just do what we're good at and maybe things will happen. But anyway, tis, tis tournament football. Um, and friend of the pot Hannah made a good point. She was like, uh, feels possibly more comfortable coming up against Spain. I think if, if again, getting ahead of ourselves, but touch wood, touch all the wood, like, you know, if we do well today, who will, who we will face from Sweden and Spain, uh, I think she was saying that yeah, uh, Spain are less scary. Like we can, we can. I can't remember what her reasoning was because my brain is just farted. But anyway, apologies, Marissa. We can take both of them. Yeah, we can take both of them. I agree. We've actually beaten everyone left of the tournament. Yeah. I don't know if we've played Colombia. Yeah, bar Colombia, who we. I don't know if we've played. I have to go back through Andy House stats, but everyone else <laughs> in the tournament we've beaten in the last two years. Damn. Yep. Just putting it out there. 
anyway, one game at a time, but there's one no reason not to. One game at a time, as Claire Hunt and Emily Van Egmond would say, but there's no reason not to believe. Also, I just had a quick question. How did how do you write up Peter Gerhardson buzzing like a bee into copy? I think you just quote him and let it speak for itself. That's what I'm I would just do. like square brackets buzzes like a bee. I think I would use the quote and said he may have then imitated the sound of a buzzing bee to illustrate this point. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Uh, my other favourite thing from the Sweden post game was, um, and I'm literally watching it right now, the team are in the dressing room, the Sweden team. They've got Amanda Illestead standing there with a large bucket over her head and they're singing. And then they reveal her by like taking the bucket off her head and they're all absolutely stoked. I don't know what this means. I don't know what they're saying, <laughs> but I'm deeply obsessed with it. Um, also just Amanda Illestead, sneaky golden boot chance. It's not hell? even sneaky if you're still in the tournament. Yeah, genuinely, very good point. Amanda um, Illestead v. So- Hayley Razzo. Mm. Yeah, baby. Who would you rather take in there too. Who would you rather take in a fight? I would always take Hayley Razzo personally. Yeah. Um, you know, who was at the Twitter? You don't mess with girls who have ribbons in their hair. It's true. <laughs> it's true, though. Um, anyway, do we have any final World Cup things that we would like to talk about today? No. Excellent. We're going to end today's episode then with another fit check brought to you by Rebels. So we've been looking at the kits throughout this tournament and just talking about our faves because getting to talk about good kits, you know, people get very passionate about it and we are those people. So let's do some fit checks. Sam, I'm going to go to you first. Which kit have you liked kind of from the round of 16 sort of onwards? My favourite kit started out as the Germany Way kit. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that. But the kit that has really captured my heart is Columbia's Away jersey. And uh, it, I, it, I didn't love it at first, but it has just, it has become so interesting to me and it has become so beautiful. And I think maybe it's just because I now associate it with this team and with their performances. And also the fact that I cannot fucking find it anywhere. I tried to buy a jersey on Rebel Sport probably yeah, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and it has sold out basically everywhere. And the other day I went to the launch of like an Adidas uh, pop-up um, activation thing in Sydney and I sat down next to someone who works for Adidas who's Colombian and I asked her, what's the go? Like I tried to order this jersey from overseas. I tried to order it everywhere and it's completely sold out. And she's like, yeah, it's completely sold out because Colombian fans are so behind this team in Australia and everywhere else in the world that literally the global stock has like stopped because they've run out of jerseys for Colombia. So, which is amazing. I'm so like, I'm, I'm all aboard. Now that Japan are out, Colombia are my second team. I'm so on board with everything they're about. I love their jersey. I love that it represents the beautiful marble river that, that flows through the country um, yeah, it's just such a, such a great vibe. All everything about it is awesome. I had I have a Columbia jersey, but it is like somewhere in Australia because the courier tried to deliver it and then did and then it got sent back to the courier. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. I'm gonna get it eventually, but I don't know when. Maybe someone's holding it for a reason. Very jealous. I was just thinking <laughs> out the window as well. What a jersey would look like if they modelled it after the brown snake. And I'm like, I would not buy that jersey probably. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
that is not a, a source of inspiration I feel that kit designers will be using. With all due respect to the brown snake, we love you. Um, yeah, we're going to move on from that. Harrow, which kit has taken your fancy from this stage? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about keeper kits, especially Nike's dramas with keeper kits. Mary Epps talking about no one is selling my kit. Obviously, they'll be the same for Mackenzie Arnold and anyone else. But the iconic one of the round of 16 was Jira Musovic's bright red kit for Sweden against the USA. She made, what, like 11 saves. She made the one of the saves of the tournament. She was huge. She was unstoppable in regular and extra time. Just saved everything. And um, also wore that kit where she, like, did one of the greatest glare stare-downs of old mate who asked her about Zlatan, one of the great moments mm -hmm. in press conference history. Um, not from his part, but from, not from the journo's part, but from her part. Um, yeah, so I think it's iconic. It's a moment that will stay surely in Swedish football history for a long time. And we'll all remember it because she was just so good. So sometimes the kits are about the moments that they're, you know, used in. So, yeah, the red kit. Jerem Musovic in the round of 16. Stunning. Angela, which kit has taken your fancy? I feel like I may have talked about this before now, but the Japan away kit, the pink and the purple. Oh, gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Um, and I know that a lot of people do love this kit. Uh, and yeah, I showed a picture of it to me when it, um, to me, to my girlfriend when it, was initially released and she looked at it and she was like that one's for the girlies uh so <laughs> I was like well in our family you know the one-man merch machine and myself our love language is um football kits so I promptly bought it for her birthday um and she wasn't a football fan at the time but she is now uh so yes the Japan Away kit is just uh it's it's stunning and it looks great as a kit as well not just the top but the whole the whole package yeah um yeah, so, and uh, is one of the Adidas kits that, you know, nods to the natural uh, environment from the nation. So it's Mount Fuji, I think, is the is the design. Um, abstract, but, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Three absolutely stunning kits. That's the Fit Check brought to you by Rebel. But I think that is us done for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can follow Sam's work on ABC and Harrow's work on AAP. If you want to listen to this podcast, you are probably listening on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual pod spots. Make sure you subscribe so you get the episodes directly into your feed. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. I know what you're about to do, so please do it, Angela. Sorry, I just remembered. We're doing a live pod. Very exciting. Um, Woohoo! On Monday the 21st of How August, good. after the final. Uh, it will be at Yuli's Brews in Alexandria, uh, Sydney, Gadigal uh registration is free we've popped it up on our social media there's an event on facebook um and yeah uh from 5 30 p.m yeah so make sure to register uh apologies if you're flying home that day but we we're just rolling with the punches here i kind of organize it by flying by the seat of my pants but really hoping that people can make it and we can hang out and yeah we'll be debriefing the final and the tournament um and it's set to be yeah a, a good time um so thank you to Julie's Brews for hosting us and hopefully see you guys there or some of you guys there not all of our listeners it's not that big but um <laughs> I, I make no pro I make no promises about either a my presence or b my state if the Tillies have gone and done the thing by the way <laughs>
We're going to be drinking a lot of beer in, in regardless of the result. They're either going to be the celebration beers or commiseration beers, but there will be beers. So come along. God willing, we are doing a live pod poster Tilly's World Cup victory because um, I want to live in that world. Um, but, yes, please register so that you can come. It is free, but make sure you register. That's on our social media at the Far Post Pod. But until next time, go Tillies. Please. Thank you.